through 19. And in light of that, when I wrote this message probably Saturday night, uh, I didn't know we were going to have an opportunity to show some compassion. And so Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14 through 19 is what we're going to go over. And the title of the message is, Nehemiah displays compassion towards God's people. I'm going to read verse 16 through 18 if you want to stand for that. I will read verse 18, uh, 16 through 18 myself, and then we'll have prayer. Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep, also fowl, were prepared for me. And once every ten days, an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions, because the bondage was heavy on this people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your word be clear tonight. May it define for us, instruct to us how we ought to behave ourselves, how we ought to pursue a lifestyle of giving, a lifestyle of accountability, and a lifestyle of being responsible and a good steward with what we have. So, Father, just open our eyes to see your will, your ways, and we find it right here in your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last time, uh, God's people, when we were in Nehemiah, God's people were being bound to debt. Uh, they, had gone, they had been leaving exile, coming to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, and the Bible says they already had it halfway done, and the, and the outside enemy was trying to discourage them and intimidate them, and they seemed to kind of get through all that, and all of a sudden last week we found out that while they were doing all this, Nehemiah didn't know it yet, we saw last week, but let's just say you needed food. Well, then you were borrowing from this person to get food, and other people were borrowing this and giving away their lands and things to survive during this rebuild, during this shoring up of God's city. And all of a sudden, Nehemiah found out that these people are in such bondage to their own people, just trying to survive, that they're even selling their kids into slavery, and they made the comment, and we'll never be able to pay it back. And it upset Nehemiah. It angered him. And in his anger, he also set aside some time and he thought about it. And he went to the leaders that were doing these things and said, stop it. Number one, on one hand, we bought these people out of slavery while they were in exile so they could come here and be with God's people. We bought them out of that slavery. And now you're putting them into another slavery? Stop it. He says, forgive their debt and let's just rebuild take care of one another. Well, as Nehemiah did that, he, and we saw that last week, well, now Nehemiah just kind of in his own journal somehow writes some things about what his motivations were when he became uh, the leader there, and we're going to find out that he's been governor over Judah for some time, for over a 12-year period. And he just writes in his journal, so to speak, what his attitude was, what his practice was. And so what we're going to see is Nehemiah 
writing down how he's displaying compassion towards God's people. And so it's real simple. Nehemiah records this commitment to God and to his people. So let's look at that. In verse 14, let's look at Nehemiah's devotion is genuine. How Nehemiah's devotion is genuine. Look at verse 14 with me. Moreover, this is after the people agreed we won't do this anymore. We just won't do that. Moreover, from the time I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year, that's, by the way, if you, if you know math like I do, that's 12 years, right? And that's simple math. Uh, 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither nor my brothers ate the governor's provision. In that 12-year period, it paints a picture of his genuine devotion. For 12 years, he was governor. He was governor of Judah. And as governor, he did not demand what a governor was supposed to get. In other words, if they said you're supposed to have this, this, and this, he said, I don't want it. I just want to be your governor. I want to lead you. He didn't demand what was required for him to have. Nehemiah's de devotion, they had appointed him as governor. He, he served that 12-year long tenure as governor of Judah, and he demanded no provisions as to being governor. In other words, I'll govern you, Judah, but you don't have to worry about taking care of me. I'll take care of myself. Because he knew, as we read in the text earlier, uh, in the text that we read, they were a people that were heavily oppressed. They were people that were suffering. They were people that were weighed down. They were not only weighed down from being in exile and sold out of exile. There's Samballat, Tobiah picking on them, intimidating them. They just experienced some internal issues. And he knew the people were weighed down. He said, you know what? It's heavy enough that they're here and they're rebuilding the walls. He said, don't pay me anything. Now, when I went to visit my pastor, I was saved down. I went to pastor, I went to visit his wife Friday morning. She said, have you ever had coffee with him? She named a preacher's name. I said, well, I remember the name, but I, I've never had coffee with him. She goes, well, don't. I said, why is that? She goes, he'll make you pay for it. She said, he's a preacher that wants everything for free. Because he's a preacher, he wants a deal for everything. I said, well, I've, I'm like your husband, Brother Bob. If, the, if that's my roof, I need to pay for my roof. I don't want no special deal. And, and that's kind of what Nehemiah had an attitude to. He may be governing them, governing Judah. He may be there organizing and, and being a leader, <clears throat> taking care of the walls, being shored up of the people. But he didn't want anything for it. I remember the first time... I told somebody that I did nursing home ministries for almost 10 years when I first started preaching, figured out who I was, who I wasn't. You know, I wasn't Jimmy Swaggart. I wasn't Charles Stanley uh, and all those things. And during those 10 years, obviously it's for free because nursing homes try to find people that will come in and, and provide those spiritual things. And, and, of course, you can't sit there and say, well, you know, you, that's $50 an hour or anything like that. And someone says, are you crazy? I said, no, I just love preaching and I love talking about God. I mean, I just, but that's where I figured out who I was in those 10 years, cutting my teeth with people in Broda chairs, people sleeping, people snoring, people paying attention. That's where I cut my teeth being a preacher. And I remember one time I, I taped one of those messages at a nursing home 
you probably couldn't hear them snoring or anything back in the background, but I was preaching to them just like I preach to you now, as if they're alert. And I let a, a big tip revival evangelist listen to that cassette, and he said, you preach this at a nursing home? I said, yes, I did. He said, well, I'm having a big tent revival in the Boot Hill, Missouri, in Saxton, Missouri, where all these evangelists that, that are full-time go all over the nation. He says, you're teaching Sunday school to them. I said, okay. And I did. But as he saw, he saw passion. He saw that even though I was in a nursing home, I was going to preach to you like you're, for lack of words, you're a regular person. And there were a lot of people that benefited from that over the years in nursing homes. They would come up to me later on. Well, I didn't know that was in the Bible because I've never preached to them. Nehemiah saw a need for leadership, not an opportunity to benefit from leadership. It says that for those 12 years, he said, neither me nor my brothers ate the governor's provision. In other words, there was something that was provided for the governor that nobody else would, would receive if he was going to serve as governor. And he chose to not to demand that privilege. I had a little church that was very hurting financially for eight years. Uh, the pastor had been there for eight years. He demanded a certain amount of money every week. I get it. He's got to pay bills. So when I get there, they said, oh, what do you want? I said, well, what do you got budgeted? I mean, I said, I've got a job. I've already got a job. I said, yeah, what, what can you budget? Well, they threw this number at me, and I said, well, that's a little bit too much. Well, that's what the other pastor demanded. I said, well, the, I'm your new pastor. I'm not demanding anything. I said, I hope you'll feed the ox at treadmill, but what can you budget? So I had to sit down with that church for a month to figure out a budget. You know why? Because for eight years, he controlled everything and told them what they were going to do and how much they were going to spend. And they never got a voice in it, never had a part of it. And they were like, you're different. I said, well, it's pretty normal that I would work with you about what we're doing here. And people are surprised sometimes when a preacher doesn't expect anything. Sometimes just the satisfaction, and that's for me, just the satisfaction to be able to present the word to somebody is, is payment enough, if you want to call it payment, satisfaction. Because listen, not every little church, not every church has what a seminarian dreams of. Some seminarians will only go to certain churches that pay a certain amount. I get it. they got to pay bills. I know a young man right now who has a bachelor's degree uh, from one of our seminaries. And... Uh, if he was to land at a church like this full-time, based off what you pay me, he said, it's not enough. I said, well, then you need to get a job and be bivocational if you're going to fulfill your... Oh, I don't be bivocational. I can't spend time with my family. I said, well, you've got to decide them. You know, you're going to minister the Word of God and trust God. Or, you know, you just got to decide. I said, I'm not telling you what to do, but you can't say, well, I want to preach, but I can't make enough money. I said, you know... I said, then if you're going to go to those churches, you better get your master's and doctorate if you're looking for that. I said, because your average Southern Baptist church is going to be 100 people or less, and whatever they budget is what they budget, you know? I said, it's not like a job job. I've got these skills, and I, I'm worth this much in the market. I said, because listen, every church is different, but not Nehemiah. His devotion was genuine. 
He simply served the people as a governor, not demanding anything. Now, obviously, we read the text earlier. He was taken care of. But we'll see also in that text that we read, he was also sharing what was provided for him. He was making sure even people from other nations were benefiting off anything he had. So we see that Nehemiah's behavior is commendable. His behavior as the governor, as the leader, was commendable. Because although they appointed him as governor, and it was a long 12-year tenure, he never demanded what was already set as a standard. He said, I don't want it. I don't need it. That's a good sign of leadership. They're not necessarily wanting anything other than to be taken care of, being respected and taken care of. Nehemiah's behavior was commendable. Look at verse 15. Nehemiah's devotion is not only genuine, but in verse 15, Nehemiah's devotion in his own journal is compared. It's compared to the last guy, his predecessor. Look at verse 15. But the former governors, that means a history of governors, right? Several of them. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Now we see why Nehemiah said, I don't need anything. I just want to lead. You just take care of me. I'll be fine. God will take care of me. He didn't take advantage of the people in their heavy state because he feared God. God. One thing I've learned a long time ago in ministry, the Bible says in Matthew 18, if you cause one of my little ones to, to fall into sin, it's better that you put a millstone around your neck and just be thrown into the sea. One of the things I've learned as an overseer, as a pastor, is yeah, there's a lot of scriptures about, you know, was that story, one of the prophets, they made fun of him and then they you know, make fun of him, call him baldy and everything. Yeah, you, you know, be careful what you say about the pastor. Trust me. Hopefully you respect me. But I better be careful how I take care of you. Because it's very plain. It's a reciprocal thing. It's a, it's a thing that's back and forth. And he compared himself to the former. The predecessors had a heavy hand for ruling. Now, why would a leader have a heavy hand in ruling? Well, maybe he had a very bad experience. We don't know, right? Maybe he had some experience that in his mind, in this situation, if he's not heavy-handed, things could get out of control. I don't know. But we do know that these predecessors had a heavy hand for ruling. These other predecessors not only had a heavy hand for ruling, but they had a hungry desire for power. Because it says they oppressed the people and they demanded things. They took things. The predecessors not only had a heavy hand in ruling, a hungry desire for power in their demonstration, the predecessor, uh, predecessors had a hard heart for God because doing that, they didn't fear God. They wanted you to fear them. I want you to respect me. But I don't want you to ever, are you listening to me? I don't want you to ever fear your pastor. 
I would rather fear you. You know why? Because according to bylaws, you can have a meeting in a real hurry, and it's adios amigo, you know, if I'm doing something stupid or wrong or illegal or immoral. And you know what? I'm comfortable with that. God should, should be held accountable for what I, how I preach, how I behave, my life and my doctrine. One of the things I learned in ministry is licensing. I had a, had a guy that wanted to be a hospice chaplain. I said, well, you, by law, by Medicare law, you've got to be licensed and ordained through either a church, a denomination, or some kind of religious organization. He says, well, I don't want to go through that. I said, well, then you can't be a hospice chaplain because Medicare requires you to at least be licensed and ordained you know, or commissioned through some religious organization. He said, what's the license ordination all about? It's just a piece of paper. You ever heard people say that about marriage too? Well, that marriage license is there to protect the innocent. That's what it's there for. That's why it's a legal marriage, to protect the innocent. Well, I told him, I said, look, this was my experience. When I was licensed, I surrendered April of 1986. By September 86, I was licensed. It means they recognized my call to preach. That's all they did. They were just recognizing my call to preach. I said, however, 10 years later, as I talked about this morning, through a three-month process, it was no longer a recognition of my calling to preach the gospel. It was a recommendation to have me come and preach. And I said, that's why that's important. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, listen. I said, wouldn't you want to be accountable to somebody? Oh, I can just preach anywhere I want to. I said, yeah, you can. I said, but you need accountability. If you don't have accountability, I said, you could go very quick astray. You need someone speaking into your life. You need someone putting on the brakes when the brakes need to be put on. And so here's this Nehemiah writing about his devotion in verse 14. And then he compares his devotion to the ones that came before him. They were heavy-handed in their ruling. They were hungry for power because they were just taking things. And it says that even his servants would rule over them with a heavy hand. It wasn't just the, the governor, whoever served on the governor. They were being heavy-handed too. Can you imagine living in a world like that? You know, we're spoiled in America, aren't we? I know we think, we think America's going to hell in a handbasket. But listen, we're the best thing going historically. And we still have a document called the Constitution. And I hear all the time, oh, the Constitution's broke. No, the men and women that are abusing the Constitution, since I've been born in 1962, there's only been a few changes like civil rights. It ain't broken. Broken people are abusing just like we can abuse the Bible. That's what's wrong in our America. We're abusing things that we already have just like we abuse the Bible. But these people had servants abusing their power heavy-handedness. Why? Because they had a hard heart for God. They didn't have a heart for God. Nehemiah didn't do these things. He didn't even want provisions or pay for it because he feared God and he loved God's people. So we see Nehemiah's devotion is very genuine. And in that genuineness, we see that Nehemiah's behavior is commendable. It, it's, it's highly recommended. It's something like, wow, that's pretty good. And then he compared his devotion, so Nehemiah's behavior was not only commendable, but it was uncompromised. Because listen, because of Nehemiah's attitude and behavior towards God's people, no one could ever accuse him of abusing power, trying to take advantage, 
his behavior was uncompromised. He couldn't even be compromised. It's uncompromised behavior. Then in verse 16 through 18, which we read earlier, Nehemiah's devotion is not only genuine, Nehemiah's devotion is compared. Nehemiah's devotion is selfless. It is selfless. Look at verse 16 and 17, uh, 18, 16 through 18, once again with me. Indeed, I also, in other words, this is what I, I not only didn't ask for provisions, I also continued the work on the wall. So he wasn't asking them to do anything to what? He wasn't willing or able to do himself. Indeed, I also continued the work on the wall. And we didn't, uh, we, he's talking about him and his family and his servants, we didn't buy any land. In other words, we, we weren't trying to take advantage of things and, and just get more power. All my servants were gathered there for the work. In other words, they were there to work, not to make a real estate deal, not to make any brokerage. And at my table, he says, were 150 Jews and rulers besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep, also fowl were prepared for me, and once every ten days an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provision because the bondage was heavy on the people. In other words, they were, they were taxed enough in the sense of energy uh, and the outside and inside conflicts. Nehemiah was selfless. Nehemiah did what he asked the others to do. That's first and foremost. He was able and willing to do what he asked the others to do. He says, just as they're working on the wall that I've been documenting all this time and they're halfway up, I've been working on it too. I did my role. I remember one time being in hospice, and in hospice you have an RN case manager that's kind of over a particular care of a patient. Then they have LPNs that help. And then you have a social worker, and then you have a chaplain. And I had a social worker that time that was very biblical. They were familiar with their Bible, and I'm okay with my social worker talking to someone about the Bible if the patient initiates it, right? But this particular social worker liked to go and just start talking to you about the Bible. And I was in there one day, and I'm thinking, well, I guess my visit's about done. You know, I didn't get to say anything. And they're just talking about everything, and that's all fine and dandy, but the patient didn't initiate that. They initiated that. So when we got back out in my pickup to go back to the office, I said, you ever heard the phrase, stay in your lane? They said, what do you mean? I said, well, I said, you have a master's degree in social work. And with that, you have resources to do what Medicare has defined for you to do. I said, they've defined me to be the spiritual support. I said, now, I don't have a problem personally. This is not a territorial thing. If they initiate that conversation, go for it. I said, but I came there with you for you to do your magic and for me to have my conversation together. And I said, I didn't get to do a thing. They said, well, you're just jealous. I said, okay. I'm just letting you know, stay in your lane. And when I got back to the office, they went to their office, and I went into my executive director and told them what had happened. Well, the intercom comes on. So-and-so, please come to the office. You know, like you did in high school. So-and-so come to the office. But she brought her in there, and she said, look, 
You can be as spiritual as you want to. Steve didn't have a problem with that. But when you're initiating what he's supposed to be initiating, then why do we have Steve? And this was the next thing out of her mouth. Well, I'm a licensed minister. And the boss said, well, you're not ordained, and you're not hired to be the chaplain. You're hired to be the social worker. Now, I didn't have a problem with that, as long as they stayed in their lane, right? Well, Nehemiah's standing in his lane. He's standing in his lane. His lane is, is that you may be doing the bulk of the work just because of the masses, but I'm going to be working too. I'm going to do my part. I do my part. Guess what? If I'm doing my part, even if it's not the same thing I'm asking you to do, if Steve is doing his part, wouldn't that encourage you to be more motivated to do your part? But if I'm just telling you what you need to do and I'm just sitting back in my ivory tower, watching everything, ah, orchestrating everything, listen, the Bible says if a man desires to be a bishop, an overseer, a pastor of a church, what does that mean? It says it's a good thing. What does overseer mean to me? Let's just say you four are over such and such committee. You three are over certain things. My job as overseer would not to be making sure you're doing your job and telling you what you need to do. My job will be say, hey, do you understand what they've asked the churches actually to do? You say, yeah, okay. What do I need to do to make sure you have the resources to do it? And I would do the same. That's what I'm doing with our committees. I'm not telling them what to do or telling them how they need to do it. I'm making sure we're all in order while we're in there. Of course, I'm cracking as many jokes as everybody else. But I just make sure they have the resources they need to do what the church has asked them to do. That's my role at that time. Otherwise, when I show up here on Monday morning, I've got my role. And you support that, and I appreciate it. That's what Nehemiah is saying. He says, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't asked you to do, and that is to play your role, be in your lane. Do how God's gifted you, talented you, what the church has asked you to do. He says, I'm not asking you to do anything I'm not willing to do. Nehemiah not only did that in his selflessness, because remember, he wasn't demanding the, the governor's provision. He was basically doing it, just take care of me. But Nehemiah also shared with what he did have, not only with the insiders, but the outsiders, those from other nations, those that were maybe Gentile believers, maybe non-believers. But Nehemiah was selfless as he thought about his people sharing the load, as he thought about others, insiders and outsiders. He shared his table with them. And Nehemiah, in his selflessness, he felt the pain of others, and he showed empathy because he said, what did he say right there? He said, because the people, because the bondage was heavy on those people, he felt their pain. He had empathy. I had a lady one day come into my office at hospice. She had just lost a baby. I don't know how long she'd been carrying the baby, but she had lost a baby. And I didn't really know what to say. I've never had a baby. I mean, we've had babies, me and Karen, and I know Karen's lost one. It was our, would have been our second one. And, and we didn't really know what to do. We just kind of talked about it, and it was very short-term pregnancy. But one lady went up to her and says, well, at least you can have babies. And she meant that in a practical statement because I guess that other lady couldn't have babies. And I thought, man, that's, she ain't feeling her pain. 
So I went over there after all that happened. Of course, the ladies were, I said, hey, I said, I've never had a baby. I was obviously, I'm a man. I can't have a baby. I said, but I'm sorry. You lost your baby. I said, how old, how long was the term? And I just asked some questions, showed her that I actually cared. I didn't understand all the women part of it, but I, I got the fact that she lost her baby. And I showed empathy. I couldn't change what happened. I, I couldn't fix it. I couldn't even relate to it because I can't have a baby, right? But I tried to feel her pain. And that's what Nehemiah did. He was selfless. Selfless to say, I'm working on the wall, just I'm asking you to work on the wall. I'll play my role. I'm going to share what I have with insiders and outsiders. He's selfless because he felt the pain of others and showed empathy. He didn't just know about their pain. He did something about it, and he felt it. Nehemiah's behavior was commendable. Nehemiah's behavior was uncompromised, unlike the other governors. And Nehemiah's behavior is leadership. He's leading these people. He's in the trenches with them. He's feeling their pain. He's sweat equity, whatever it is. He's leading the people. And last but not least, in verse 19, Nehemiah's devotion is not only genuine, compared, and selfless, but Nehemiah's devotion is surrendered. It is surrendered. Look at verse 19. As he talks about his genuine, compared, and selfless behavior, he says a very short prayer. I mean, literally a short prayer, right? But it's very specific, and it's very focused towards God. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. It's a simple prayer. He was surrendered. He was seeking God's favor. And as he was seeking God's favor, it was for the fact that he wanted to bring God glory. And as he sought God's favor so that God would receive glory, he taught by his own example his people about God and what God was doing for us. And you think about the greatest love of all, right? Jesus Christ, right? The greatest love that the Father could give. And as I told you a couple of Sundays ago, he gave us, God gave us through Jesus Christ what we did not deserve. So when the Bible tells me to love you as Christ loved me, I think back before I knew Christ. How did Christ love He loved me when I didn't want him. He loved him definitely when I didn't deserve him. <laughs> okay? He loved me when I had no clue that he loved me. He loved me. And that's how we need to love one another. When you don't even think you deserve it. When you don't deserve it. When you don't even think you need it. We need to love on one another. And that's what Nehemiah is doing in his devotion. In his devotion, he's showing compassion towards God's people. And in that, he is asking God favor. He is asking that these, these actions and behaviors that he's doing that is selfless and surrendered will be for God's glory. And he wants to take care of God's people, not because he wants power, because he does have it, but he's not demanding anything for it. He's using it for God's glory and the good of God's people. That's what he's doing. Nehemiah is showing 
that his behavior is commendable, uncompromised, it is leadership, and it is behavior that is sacred. It is sacred behavior. He's acting in a way that does bring God the glory. That's why it's sacred behavior. And listen, you don't have to be a preacher to say I'm in the sacred work. Because listen, you can be a teacher. You can work in manufacturing. You can work from home. Whatever it is you do. Remember we learned about four or five Wednesday nights ago. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That means anything you're doing is to be done for the glory of God. Whether it's your occupation, uh, your ministry, uh, the way we treat our wives or our husbands, our children, how we treat one another, that is an act of worship that should bring glory to God and show God's favor, especially to the household of faith. Nehemiah displays compassion towards God's people and the reason he does that is to accomplish God's pleasure. The reason he is showing compassion towards God's people is for the whole purpose of, of accomplishing God's pleasure, what God wants, not what Nehemiah wants, not what these other governors before Nehemiah wanted. They obviously wanted power and all kinds of stuff. His only motivation was, is what does God want in this situation? What does God want in this moment? What does God want if they're going to be doing usury to each other? What does God want when I'm going to talk to this king? What does God want? We need to deny ourselves and what? Follow Christ. Pick up that cross and deny ourselves. This would be an application that I'm going to give, and it may not be an application you ever thought about, but when I pastored in Kentucky, uh, it was during the election, remember the hanging Chad, uh, 2000? And I was pastoring a little church in Basket, Kentucky. Henderson is about 10 miles west of there. And another little town 10 miles is Spotsville. And the First Baptist Church of Spotsville and Advanced Baptist Church in Basket, Kentucky, where I pastored, between my church and his church, and then there was another church over here, I can't remember the name of it, we would uh, share what we call tri-services. And every fifth Sunday, they would all maybe show up at my church where... That pastor would preach and my church would provide food. Then the next fifth Sunday, I'd be preaching at their church and they'd provide food. And then we just rotated like that. And we had sing-alongs and stuff. But I remember it was a fifth Sunday sometime before that 2000 election. Don't know what month that would have been. And it was the time where one preacher in Spotsville was going to come to my church and preach. And then we were going to provide the food and the singing with the other two churches. And he opened his Bible and he departed from there. You see what I'm saying? He opened his Bible and he departed from there. He began to tell you who he was voting for come that big Tuesday and who you needed to vote for. And I'm just sitting there about where David is going, mm, from my pulpit, mm, from my pulpit. I, just, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to embarrass him. Well, you know what? He told him that he was going to do a series for a month before the election at his church on who to vote for and who he was going to vote for. And this was, God, I guess, the ice opener, okay? And what really made me mad is we would run about 68 to maybe 75 on a Sunday morning. And for those next four weeks, 20 of them went 10 miles down the road to hear all those messages. So fight fire with fire, right? Sunday before Super Tuesday, I advertised that Come next Sunday morning, I'm preaching on who I'm, who I'm voting for. 
And you know what I did? I preached the gospel. I said, I'm voting for Jesus. I said, but you need to get out there as a citizen and be responsible to vote your conscience. Well, all, well people from Spotsville came to hear me preach. But, you know, I just preached Jesus. But, you know, we, we, we think of, we don't think of politics a lot, but Nehemiah is a governor here. He's been elected. He's been appointed as a governor. And we see some leadership skills here. We see some leadership characteristics. So when we as Christian citizens, at least of America, there may be some people listening from some other country. I'm sorry you don't have our type of government. But listen, as an American citizen, we find ourselves under leadership. And Paul addresses that. Paul says that, that we ought to pray for those in authority over us. And, and part of that context is that, that they would be saved and that God would lead them. Paul talks about in Romans 13 that governments are established by God for the purpose of bringing order and peace to their people. That's why we have laws and order. Paul talks about that. Well, why wouldn't we want to apply that in the church? Because it's right there in the Bible. Those that are in position of authority sometimes seek their own power. They seek others' Uh, others benefit off others. Some find that power and, and they become lazy politicians. Other, others become good civil servants, good statesmen. So whether, they, whether someone gets elected, they become some lazy, power-hungry uh, politician, we still need to pray for them. If anything, we need to pray for them even more because they need to turn, they need to, turn to God. Because they're going to be accountable to God because God established the governments. But we may have servants that are appointed or elected that also need our prayers. I've never been to Washington, D.C. I probably never will visit Washington, D.C. But I know from what I hear on radio and just over the years, it's probably a place where you can get corrupted real easy because there's a lot of power there, a lot of power. Anywhere there's power, we can find corruption. I have power tonight. Did you not give me power to speak to you? And I don't want to be corrupted with that power. I want to be entrusted with that power to speak to you, speak to you life and encouragement. But Paul tells us we ought to pray for those in authority over us, that God would influence them, that, that they would please God in their service, that, that they would come to God to Jesus Christ. And listen, just because someone professes something doesn't mean they possess something. And I don't know all the different litmus, te litmus tests and everything, but listen, we just saw Nehemiah. And as we, come up to on, as we come up on March 5th, which is a primary, and it doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, or wherever else you are, I want to encourage you, look for someone that has some of these characteristics, like they're there to serve. They're not there just for the power. And whatever power they have, they're doing it for the good of the people. They're not for their own pocketbooks. Look for someone who has uncompromised. In other words, they're not like them. They're different. They have a different motivation. They fear God. They, they see their responsibility as important from God. Even if they weren't a believer, but they see it as a responsibility to God. Vote for someone who's showing leadership. If they do have a privilege or a power, they're making sure... Making sure they're, they're letting other people know they're important too, like leadership, what he shared to other nations. Make sure it's someone that we see that takes what they do very serious. And they do realize 
that if they don't do what they've been asked to do, they're not campaigning again. They're just trying to do what they can to do, whether they're elected or not. That's the person we want to be pushing towards and we need to lean into. So I just want to encourage you as we come up on our primary and different things and, of course, come Super Tuesday and everything, think of Nehemiah and some of these characteristics that we saw in him. They don't have to be exactly, obviously they can't be Nehemiah, right? He has a unique situation. So does every politician. They're going to have a unique politician. And I'm talking city, county, state, federal. Look for these kind of characteristics. Just before the 2016 election, I did a message similar to this a couple of Sundays in a row. And we just talked about characteristics of leadership. And one lady in the middle of my sermon, she raised her hand. I said, uh, yes. Well, what if so-and-so gets in? Or what if so-and-so gets in? She gave out a couple of names. I said, look, I said, I said, you need to pray about these leadership you know, characteristics and vote your conscience. But what if so-and-so gets in? I said, look, I said, God used a jackass to save a false prophet once he could use anybody. And everybody just laughed, you know, because I don't remember what side she was on, but she's so worried. You know why? Because she wasn't looking to a Nehemiah or maybe a David or someone who could give her some kind of example of leadership. Instead, she was watching cable TV, this, that, the other, the Internet. Like, stop it. That has its place. But this has the best place. And what we found out here in Nehemiah is he demonstrated some selflessness. He demonstrated being a surrendered person. He demonstrated being a fair person. He demonstrated being uh, a person that just tries to be genuine. And he's there for the right reason, right motivation. That's who we seek out. But you know what? Those people don't always get in office, do they? But thank God we live in America. That can change every four years, every two years. I don't like that anymore than you do, the pendulum going back and forth. But thank God we're not built off a dictatorship or some kind of tyranny or kingship because our forefathers understood that there was nothing wrong with having kings because guess what? They, they created kings in England because why? Well, it was King David. But even when they found King David, it was because they found King Saul because they begged God, we need a king. He said, you don't need a king. Oh, yeah, we do. We've got to be like the other nations. So there's nothing wrong with having a kingship any more than an elder in your church, right? But you better examine my life. You better keep me accountable. You better show me not just some respect, but show me that you care about me enough that if you need to come to me, you can. Because I'm no king. I'm just an overseer. I'm here to bring order. I'm here to bring instruction. I'm here to lead, and I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself unless I'm not able to do it, you know, whatever that would be. But, you know, listen, we learn from Nehemiah some leadership here. And in this case of leadership, in this case, he was showing compassion. Leadership needs to have some humility, right? Even though they're in charge, they better have some humility because, listen, we have a God in heaven that knows how to humble you real quick. And I've been there. I've been humbled before. I've been put in my place. And I'm glad he did. And I'm glad someone did. He called someone to do that. It was usually a little grandma at the church or some woman. It never was a man. 
I guess they were the only ones that had the backbone to come up to me and say, hey, I'm concerned about this. I don't know. But, um, you know, and then other ones, uh, you know, there's always people. We deal with people. But listen, let, let me pray for us. And I'm just going to pray for our nation leadership. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we come to you tonight. And Father, I know this is a very specific story about Nehemiah that's more about compassion than it is anything else. But Father, in that humility, in that compassion, in his motivation, he's giving leadership qualities. And to us, from looking at the text, we know, therefore, he must be there because you wanted him there. And, and Father, we have so many politicians that don't even realize, or at least they're willfully ignorant to it, that you established the governments. And they're there only because you allowed them to be there. And therefore, Father, you can remove them. And Father, we, we lift those that are leading our nation, leading our state, our counties, our city municipalities, even those in the school board that, that help and superintendents that, that lead our schools and our teachers. We lift them up to you, Father. They're an important part of our community. They play a role. And I think sometimes, Father, we second-guess them before we ever have a conversation with them too. But, Father, we lift them up to you. And we thank you that you've placed them there to bring order, to establish education or other things. And we pray that you would guide them, Father, into your pleasure. That you would keep their hearts humble. Not that we want you to humble them, but keep their hearts humble. We pray that their eyes would be open if they don't know Jesus, that their eyes would be opened to know Jesus. And perhaps, Father, maybe we're the one that are going to reach out to them and love on them and tell them about Jesus. But help these people that are in authority. Help them to be gracious, thankful. Help us to be a people that would provide. Provide for them what they deserve what they rightly deserve. And Father, we ask these things for our, our country, our state, our county, our city, our schools. And I pray, Father, that we're better citizens ourselves, Christian citizens, that not only are active in voting and other things that you might have us go into uh, to help support people like that, but we definitely help us to be responsible to vote Help us not to be a naysayer and say, well, it's not going to go my way, so I'm not going to vote. Help us to be responsible. Men and women have died. Men and women have died for the very right that we could go and pull a lever and vote our conscience. And men and women are still preserving that constitution from both foreign and domestic enemies. Help us to lift them up, Father. They have power. Keep them safe. Bring them to Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah.